Hi everyone and welcome along to the Celtic View podcast, your official home of all things Celtic within the football club. And as ever, this week I am joined by our Celtic View editor, Paul Cuddehy. Paul, it's a very exciting weekend and it's a very exciting week coming up. How are you? It's always a very exciting week at Celtic, yeah. Very good after the, the weekend. Brilliant performance, brilliant result and lots to look forward to. Definitely, yes. And we've got plenty to look forward to in this episode. We've got an exclusive interview with Callum McGregor to show you a sneak peek of an exclusive interview to show you and we'll explain that in a little bit more detail in a while. We've obviously got the, the match at the weekend to look back on, that Hearts victory which booked us a place into the semi-final where we now know who we're going to be playing in, in that game at, at Hamden Park and there's also all the build-up to this weekend's fixture against Hibs at home as well as a round-up of the women's team and the B team. But first of all, these Celtic views, Paul... It's the Christmas editions. And it's not Christmas been, anymore. It's not Christmas anymore. And they are replaced this week, excitingly, with... I mean, I just I love this cover. This very much Scream Celtic, a brand new Celtic view, which is coming out this Friday in all club shops. And you can pre-order it at the moment as well. It's always an exciting week when the Celtic views are coming out now. Um, Paul, just why don't you explain a little bit about what's expected in this one? Yeah, well, it's coming out on St. Patrick's Day, so it's kind of a celebrated issue. Um, part of it is celebrating St. Patrick's Day, our Irish connections, our Irish roots. We've got a couple of interviews with a couple of our Irish players, Claire O'Reilly from the women's team and Boston Lowell from the B team. It's a celebration of the, the League Cup triumph, of course, last month, so we've got interviews with the manager, the captain, and all the, the main players enjoyed that day. Um, and it's also... We kind of say it's a celebration of, I think, our kind of cultural roots. So we've got a couple of really good music interviews. One for the older music fans, the Bluebells, which people of a, a certain age will remember. Massive in the, the 80s. Their big hit was Young at Heart, but they're back with new music. Big Celtic fans. So they came in, um, they did an interview, and also within the next week or so, we'll have a special podcast where they play a couple of their new songs live for us. And also a kind of up-and-coming singer-songwriter, Brooke Coombe, who is just... Got the most extraordinary voice, again, a big Celtic fan, so it was great to, to speak to her as well. Yeah, she's someone that a lot of people might know, um, I think around the time with Scotland and the Euros, and she was yeah. doing renditions of songs there, and I'm sure quite a lot of you will have seen her on, on Twitter and on social media. Um, we've also got interviews as well with first team members of the squad. Yeah, well, obviously you spoke to O, which was great. Um, obviously we needed a translator for that, <laughs> yeah. but um, that was good to hear from him as well. And he's just been called up to the South Korean squad as well, which is great for him. Uh, we've got interviews with Kyogo, Aaron Moy, Jota. As I say, most of the you know the top players in, in the first team, so there's plenty there. We'll also catch up with Scott Brown as well, who's coming back here in May for a, a special night in, in the centre of Glasgow and Mikael Lustig. So we talk about that and also how we find out how he's getting on at Fleetwood as well. So it's packed full of things for, for everyone. Yeah, we can't say it's a Christmas stocking filler though this time of the year like we usually do with the, the Christmas version. Um, but also excitingly, we've usually always got competitions and quizzes and other features as well and there's going to be plenty of them in this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously people might have other things that they want to, to do to celebrate St Patrick's Day, but of course it's... it's in, here in, in Scotland, it's Mother's Day this weekend. So, if you if you're looking for something to get your mum for this weekend, yeah, let's just show that again. Again, <laughs> I, as you mentioned, celebrating the Irish roots, and I think that just screams Ireland, doesn't it? That that front page. So, uh, yeah, very exciting. Friday that comes out. Keep up to date with the Celtic View social media account as well, because we will be posting lots on that and where to buy it as well. Um, but yeah, you can pre-order it online now on club shops on Friday when that comes out. Um, Paul, obviously we want to start on the football from the weekend, the Hearts game, um, which booked us our place in the semi-final. But I think we now know our opponents in that semi-final. So before we get into the Hearts game and everything great about it as well, let's just touch upon that. We're going to be playing, we don't know what day it is yet, if it's a Saturday or Sunday, but it's the last weekend of April, we're going to be playing against Rangers again at Hamden Park. Um, are you happy with that draw? Uh, we were just having a bit of discussion beforehand, aren't we? Well, do you know what? It's funny. It's, I mean, it's amazing to think that either Falkirk or Inverness Cali Thistle are going to be in the final, which is extraordinary for them 
And I suppose every, you know you thought well, we either have to play Rangers in the semi-final or the final. Um, you know, I, th I think when we were having a chat about it, you made a good point of, you know, if, if we were we were to win that game, you know, we're, we're on course to win the league, and it kind of it gives us a lot to look forward to in May and into June, and and obviously kind of ends effectively ends Rangers season, I suppose. So from that point of view, whether we play them in the semi-final or the final, and I think. Given what happened at Hamden last month, I think we have to go into the game full of confidence. We will have another game, of course, here against them before then. So I'm not sure if that will have too much of an impact. It's a different, it's a whole different dynamic playing at either stadium. Um, but I'm sure it's one that everybody's looking forward to. And as I say, because of what happened with the League Cup final, you know, we have to go into it full of confidence. Yeah, because I'm thinking I'm quite happy with the draw being in the, the semi-final. Um, it means it gets it over and done with as well because <laughs> um, if you've got that big build-up to final as well, particularly if, if in May we're still ahead in the league and got a chance of winning it, it, it that cup final build-up will feel massive. But also, you've got the semi-final on that weekend, you've got the potential, usually the split, you might be playing Rangers again the following weekend or maybe even the weekend after that. So you have a chance to get a couple of big results in a couple of weeks, it'd be... Amazing. And also the fact that we're coming into it in the back of, of winning the League Cup final against them is only going to fill everybody with confidence. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was interesting when they did the draw and they, they, after Falkirk had knocked out Air United. So the Falkirk players were obviously delighted because I think the presumption would be if, if they had got either Celtic or Rangers <clears throat> as a league one side, they, they wouldn't have got through. And Inverness would have probably been the same. They would think it would have been very difficult. They're now got a chance to get to the final. So I think in a one-off game, even if, if if we're there and we're the overwhelming favourites, it's still a one-off game. But you know that's for us you know, to get past the semi-final, then we would be getting to the to the finals really strong favourites. I mean, it'll be a massive game. Obviously, we remember, you know, as well as the League Cup final last season, Scottish Cup semi-final. But uh, you know, I, I think the, the way we're playing just now, and you saw it at the weekend at Tynecastle. It's a tough game, a tough venue, a tough team. But if we if we turn up and play the way that we know we can play, it's it's very hard for any other team to live with us. Yeah, and I think that's one thing. You're going to get a lot of comparisons with the fact that we played them in the semi-final last year in the Scottish Cup. But it doesn't really have anything to do with this upcoming match because we've played them recently in a final in the League Cup and won. And we're a completely different team really from, not completely different, but we're a stronger team, a much stronger team than the one that played that semi-final last year as well. And you don't really see any signs of this team that they're going to give up. No, I mean, I think, to be fair, the, the manager, I'm sure when it comes round to it, will say that even the League Cup final yeah. will have no bearing uh, on what happens. Because it's a one-off game, you know, it's a winner-takes-all, it's, you know, so much at stake. So you have to, you know, you can't rest on your laurels and say, well, just because we won the last one or if we, you know, we win here at the start of April just because we won the last two, there shouldn't be a presumption. And I think that you can see that with this team. The squad is so strong, so whether whoever starts looks impressive and then whoever comes on looks equally as impressive. And I think that's one of, that's what makes it, I think, so difficult for teams to beat us because it's the strength and depth that even, you know, if they're still in the game after an hour, the manager will make some changes and it just reinvigorates the side and, and we're as strong, if not stronger. So it's, it's very hard. There's no other team that's got the, the strength and depth that we've got. And as I say, I'm sure the players, when it comes around, will be, you know, be determined to make sure we're in the final this year. Well, let's look back on the match which booked our place in the semi-final at Hamden. And that was in Saturday lunchtime against Hearts at Tynecastle. A 3-0 result and it was just as comprehensive as they come pretty much, wasn't it? From the word go, I mean, I think even before Adam Moy scored, I think we, we were on the front foot and, you know, Ray Hotati did a, a great shot, which was produced a great save from Xander Clark. I mean, Adam Moy, again, he just gets better and better. He's been a phenomenal signing, actually, and, you know, his finish, I think there's the way... That, you know, he let the ball run across him and hit it with his left foot on the run. There was no way the keeper was going to save that. And then and then I think the second goal was perfect timing. Because I suppose Hearts are thinking if they could just get in at half-time, hanging in there, 1-0 down, then they, they kind of regroup. At 2-0, it's effectively over and we just totally controlled the game. Um, and it's always good to, to beat Hearts. And it's always good to beat Hearts at 10 cars. It is indeed, yeah, because... 
going to that match, um, it was kind of, I, I love the Scottish Cup. I think it's just a brilliant competition because you then get those instances where we then go to Tynecastle in a quarter-final and we get the full stand behind the goal. You've got more than 3,500 Celtic fans there. It was just like the build-up to it was just perfect. You had the full set of hearts end, you had the full Celtic end at that side as well. And then we just come flying out the traps as well. And it was just, it was superb to watch. And that goal from Aaron Moy as well, you mentioned, like the control that he had and that ball's coming across to strike at least what's meant to be his weaker foot when it's bouncing, he's just been in superb form. And we're going to get into him in a little bit more detail in a bit. Uh, I think a word needs to go to Joe Hart yeah. in that period as well in the first half. I and mean, what a save that was. Yeah, I mean, I think, and I've, we've said it before on the podcast, Joe Hart's been one of our best signings. I mean, I think his, not only just his, his quality as a goalkeeper, but I think his whole persona and his attitude every day in training and around the dressing room, I think it's been so important. You know, I, I remember... You know, speaking to Callum McGregor, you know, when he was doing his book, and he said he's just one of the best people he's ever met in football. He said he's just his attitude, his positivity. You know, the fact he came in there and he, you know, he had seventy odd caps for England, he'd won everything down in England, but yet he came in and the first thing I think he's saying to Callum McGregor, "Look, I'm here to help you. Anything you want, just let me know." And I think he's been so important. But you know, you saw his quality as a goalkeeper, mm. brilliant save, but then the bravery to follow that up. Still can't believe he didn't get a foul with uh, <laughs> the, the follow-up challenge. You know, to be fair, the Hearts player had to go for it, but he was immediately over apologising, knowing yeah. that he was slightly late. But that that shows his quality and his bravery, and yeah, absolutely key player for us. We were having a debate the other day about who is Angie's most important signing, and you you could literally name anyone, right? But I was I had an argument towards Joe Hart because. At that time, in the summer period, we didn't really have many options in terms of the goalkeepers. And then you remember when Joe came in, and I think it was a game against Jablonek at home in the Europa League, and he made like two saves, and the whole place <laughs> just erupted. And everyone was like, right, okay, we're safe now. We've got a goalkeeper who, who we've got in, who's going to save us points, who's going to save us in games. And I think that was a real crucial moment in that early part of the season. And then he's went on to have such a such a successful time so far at Celtic. Um, but that's that's an impossible question because you, as is. you say, you look at you know you look at every player that the managers brought in just about, and they're all key players for us. Yeah. You know, you go along that back line, and then you also look at the the guys that have have just almost gone up to a different level that were here already that the managers, you know. So if you look at that back line, Alistair Johnson, Juranovic before him, Alistair Johnson. Carter Vickers, Starfelt, and then you've got Greg Taylor as well. So I, I, I just don't think you could answer that one, actually. But you know what's interesting as well, going back to the game against Hearts on Saturday, and it's indicative of the way that we're playing at the moment, where you could speak to, you could get 10 or 20 Celtic fans together, together and say, who was your man of the match? And you're not going to get a consensus. I think everyone has a different opinion. Some people might have said Aaron Moy on Saturday, other people said... Alistair Johnson had a brilliant game. The def any of the defenders, Yuki Kobayashi comes in, does brilliantly. Hatati was excellent. Kyogo gets it. Every player is just playing at the exact same level. And it's it's amazing to watch this team develop and grow and get stronger when the season's getting into its most crucial part. Well, again, that's that's something that I think from, from day one, the manager said that there's no point in the team peaking in August or September or October because there's nothing that's handed out then, what he's, what he's doing and what they've, they've planned for from pre-season onwards is to have a team that peaks and gets stronger in the run into the season, the, the, the so-called business end, and that's exactly what it is. But again, to come back to what I said earlier, if, you know, when, you, when you look at the way we play, if, you know, if all our players are on it, then there's just nothing anybody else can do, no matter how good they, they are, because the, the quality of, of our, our play throughout the team is just exceptional. Yeah. So touching back on Aaron Moy, um, when we were we came into the office on Monday morning and we're discussing the game, uh, and somebody said that they think Aaron Moy is up there with one of our best bargain buys in the club's history. So I got us thinking, who are our best bargain buys? We put the question out onto to Twitter as well. Um, so we've got a few responses which we'll read through. I think the place to start though, this one comes in from 
Dave Dog Dad, which I don't really know what that name's all about, but uh, hi Dave, um, <laughs> who says £650,000 for the greatest striker in the club's history, Henrik Larsson. I think that's a place where you need to start, and I think as much as we'll probably have a chat about some other players, that probably is the answer, isn't it? Yeah, in post, I mean, post-war terms, obviously, yeah. in terms of Celtic strikers, Jimmy McGrory's head and shoulders in terms of his record above everybody, but, you know, in terms of strikers, within, certainly within our lifetime, as soon as as soon as soon we started chatting about that question, I think everybody just thinks of of Henrik Larsson. And it was interesting, uh, John McGinn, who, who plays for Aston Villa, obviously, Scotland as well, he did an interview, and I think people might have seen it on social media, and I think he was asked who his hero was, and he just said King Henrik right away, and just told the story of how he met him and was totally starstruck. And I think for people who grew up, you know, as adults, it was amazing to watch a player like that play for us. But I think for, for young people growing up watching Celtic, to have a player, a hero, an icon like that, and, you know, Vim Janssen did wonderful things in the year he was here. And, you know, apart from obviously stopping the 10 one in the league, but bringing Henrik to, to Celtic was something that, we were, we were forever grateful to, to win for. Yeah, it's one thing for me that I feel fortunate that I was just at an age where I remember seeing Henrik. I think if I was a couple of years older, I, I wouldn't have had any recollection at all. And that fact, when I was coming to games really young, my dad was trying to drag me along and I really wasn't interested at all at six and seven. But then there was this guy, Henrik, who every game would score and you kind of fell in love. I almost kind of fell in love with him before I then fell in love with the football club because you were just going expecting to see this guy score and I wanted to hear his song getting played after after he'd scored and hear hear the fans singing about him and you know you talk about you talk about legends at this club and he's certainly up there so I think for this category he probably is the winner of it but we'll discuss a few other names as well um we had Jezza come in saying hit for him Liverpool's up there maybe he was just a little bit too late in his, his career at that point? I think that's something that everybody, because obviously people remember the way that, you know, Dr Joel brought him in and everybody was quite dismissive. But he was just, ex he was extraordinary. And I think that's the one thing when people talk about Lubo, everybody goes, I wish we'd got him five or <laughs> ten years earlier because <clears throat> given how good he was at that age, how, be how much better, how much more we'd have benefited from it. And there's, you know, if you look at that, Juventus game where we beat them 4-3 you know that was you know it was a kind of almost a swan song for Lubo he's playing at the highest stage against some of the Europe's and some of the world's best players and one of the top teams in Europe he was outstanding that game I mean he was absolutely central to the way we played and the way we won that game and he was he was just a, he was a lovely guy as well and and again anytime you ask players that, that played with him trained with him and you say was he right footed or left footed none of them know and that's just, a, you know, there's few players in, in football ever that you can say that about. Yeah. Uh, he was uh, he was incredible as well. Yeah. Did he not nutmeg Nedved in that game as well? Or he nutmeg somebody, one of their top players in the Juventus team? I mean, he's, he's one who I've, I've just got memory of. Again, I would always remember my dad coming back from games and talking about him, being like, oh, he scored from a corner, and he's, he's controlled the ball with his backside and stuff like that. And he was just an incredible, incredible player. Um, a few other ones to mention. Obviously, this started. This conversation started because of Moy and someone else, Jim Mick, did say that Moy's up there for him as well. And again, he does wish we had him a, a few years ago to see him when he was maybe playing in the Premier League. Um, but for a player that has come in on, I think we think a free transfer from from China. I mean, he would maybe have to be up there in, in the reckoning, wouldn't he? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's it's a classic case of which the best players, they're good for Celtic and Celtic are good for for mm -hmm. him. You know, I think you often say that. I mean, Henrik says that as well. That you know, as, as well as him being good for Celtic, Celtic was was perfect for him. And obviously, in those first few months, is he kind of built up his because I think people forget sometimes that I don't think he played or trained really for about three or four months before he joined us. So he was he was playing catch up. And obviously, by the time that he gets to the World Cup, and he's you know he's up to full speed, he's part of the squad. He he goes to Qatar, and has this incredible you know Australia get out of their group, and he's absolutely central to it. And I I think maybe for some people, 
even probably some Celtic fans are sitting back and going, whoa, we've got a player yeah. here. And I think it's it's really interesting and it, maybe it's the timing of the, the tournament in the middle of the season, but you know, if you look at the way he came back and he's he's just been superb since you look at the way Dyson Media came back from the World Cup mm. as well and they've really benefited from that and having a good tournament and coming back and feeling good about themselves. But yeah, he's... I, the one thing I always think, and it does make me laugh that, because... Um, my wife was joking at the weekend that he's going to stop playing well because he just doesn't want to do these post-match interviews anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, I, we just have to stop asking him because he just... I'm sure the rest of the players are probably killing themselves laughing every time he gets announced as man of the match because he has to go and do these things and they can tell. Uh, we had in the game uh, away from home against Hibs in, uh, in between Christmas and uh, New Year. I think he scored his first couple of goals for the club in that game at Easter Road. He won... Four now and we'd quickly said, can we speak to Aaron after the game? He's like, yeah, yeah, that's fine, that's fine. We saw him coming out and he was like, almost trying to get away. And we're like, no, Aaron, you, know, you need to come over here. And he's like, oh God. And I was like, yeah, well, that's that's what happens when you start scoring goals. Um, but yeah, no, I, I do feel for him because he's, uh, he's never best pleased when he's doing it. He's, he's not, the, he's, he's not the, the first one to be calling to do it. Um, a few other suggestions as well. Uh, we had Lloyd Patrick Jepson, who actually gave us a list. He said Larson, Lubo, Hatati, and then Moy. Um, Patrick Taylor, which is this is something we can probably all agree with, has said you could probably have nearly every current Celtic player um, in this list because, I mean, most of them have not really spent that much money on the individuals in the, in the squad. A few that I wanted to mention that I thought were, were worthy. It's difficult with this when you're talking about bargain buys. I think, you know, you look at Van Dijk, you see the players went on to become... Two million at the time, around about that anyway, reportedly, and then you you sell them on for for plus ten. Um, but I mean, I think you've got to maybe look a little bit below that. Maybe players you're getting in at fees or just a little bit more than that. Uh, so Rodrick's another one um, who we got in, another Australian. Musa um, Dembele, remember we got him in for for buttons and Didier Agat as well, which I think was only like thirty grand or, or even less than that. For maybe about fifty, yeah. He was he was a he was a steal, and he turned out to be a great player. Um, and probably one of the nicest people I've ever met. Yeah. Uh, he's just he was just a lovely, lovely guy. And he always uh, always tell a story of he, he would go over to the the Celtic Superstore and he would buy a whole batch of jerseys with his name and number on them, and then leave them in his boot his car. And if MD met him, or he met MD. He would go into the boot of the car and give him a signed jersey. He was just like he was just a just a lovely guy, and he you know he was a great player under Martin O'Neill. I was trying to think of a couple of going a wee bit further back. Mm-hmm. So, in a couple of names that, that came to mind, uh, I remember we got Pat Stanton in the in the late seventies. It was a kind of swap deal. He'd been a Hibs legend. You know, he'd, he'd Jockstein had briefly managed them at Hibs back in the sixties. He'd been part of the you know, really strong Hibs team in the late sixties, early seventies. But he came in here for a season, helped us win the double, which was, you know, in 76, 77. And then sadly, at the start of the next season, you know, we had him, Kenny Roglic and Danny McGrain. Kenny left for uh, Liverpool, which, going the other way, is one of the steals of, the, of all time for them. Uh, Danny, you know, he got a long-term injury and then Pat Stanton got injured and ended up having to, to finish his career. But he was a... A great signing for that season. Brian McClare in the, the 80s was another one that we got from Motherwell, who I think was our top goal scorer in the four seasons that he was there. He was just a, he was a phenomenal player. And again, you know, Manchester United, that, that, that was one of the, I think Alec Ferguson said until I think Eric Cantona came, it was his best signing and, and they absolutely stole him from us. But he was another one that we, we got in more than repaid us in terms of, of what he contributed. Brilliant, yeah, but we're still in agreement, I mean, this one that Larson would be the winner for this category. Yeah, I mean, I think you could go in, because you have to go back forensically and look yeah. at, you know, like certain players, so do you go back, you know, Willie Wallace, you know, come in and, you know, within about, I think within about six weeks and won every honour, <laughs> having, having uh, joined us, you know, including the European Cup final, again, he was a, a great striker for us, so, but I think certainly in the last 20, 30 years, that. Henrik's the one name that everybody immediately remembers. And yeah. the best thing, well, not the best thing, but the fact that I used to think it was laughable that some people would be comparing him and his record to strikers of other teams in Scotland. And you think, I mean, that's obviously people who 
don't know anything about football, but then Henrik to go on and be a star at Barcelona, and then even when he was on loan, Manchester United proved he he was just world class and head and shoulders above anyone. Yeah, and it, you think with, with Henrik as well, if we didn't have all the greats that we did have with your likes of McGrory's and players in the 50s and 60s and things, you, you look at so many clubs now where I think Mbappe just broke the record for PSG's their top goal scorer, someone else just broke it in, in Italy as well and they'd only scored like 100 goals for the club. He probably would be standing out on a loan as our record of a goal scorer if you didn't have this great history and success of players that other clubs just just don't have. Um, I mean, that goes back to, so, so obviously Henrik overtook Jimmy Quinn, who was the start of the 20th century, overtakes Stevie Chalmers, who's obviously one of our greatest ever strikers. And he's just behind Bobby Lennox, who again, <clears throat> and I think, you know, Bobby would have been even further ahead if, if uh, he didn't get flagged for dubious offsides. There's so many goals. So, yeah, I mean, he's, he's an esteemed goal-scoring company because, he, because that, that's where he is. Yeah. He, he's alongside these guys. Yeah. We'll, we'll crown the king with this one then. <laughs> we'll give him the, the tag for that. Um, let's look ahead now, Paul, to the weekend's action. Uh, we've got Hibs coming back to Celtic Park for the second time this season. And I think everyone will remember that first game rather fondly. 6-1 victory back in October where James Forrest scored a hat-trick to take him to 100 goals. As a Celtic player, that was a brilliant afternoon um, and then of course as I mentioned earlier we had the 4-0 game at Easter Road uh, in between Christmas and New Year time so how are you feeling going into to this game? I mean I think the fact that we've won every single one of our, our home games in the league this season um, conceding very few goals you have to be absolutely confident and I think again what's good is we've got a full week's preparation you know after two really hard games back to back against Hearts then we get a full week to get everybody you know, recovered, back fully fit, Dyson Maid will come back into the squad as well. So we're going to it really strong. Hibs are kind of... They're improving. Yeah, they've kind of steadied the ship um, and they were getting some good results. But then, you know, they're kind of hit or miss, I think. Mm. Never, I'm never quite sure how... I think they'll, they'll certainly... I think the manager last time when the 6-1 game said there was a certain naivety in the way they played which obviously must be something to do with the way he set them out, but I think they'll be much more defensive and maybe try and frustrate Celtic. But the problem with that, as we've, we've touched on, we've got such a strong squad and so many attacking threats that it's, it's difficult for teams to to handle that. So, I mean, I, I think, mm -hmm. I'm sure even Hibs are expecting a home win. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably been two of our best performances this season so far, particularly the game at home where... James scores his hat-trick and gets 100 goals. Even the Hibs manager afterwards was saying, I think he said to his players that if, if he was one of them, he'd be chapping in our dressing room to ask us what do we eat, how do we sleep, all these type, different types of things because we were so good in that day. I mean, that's just one of many quotes that <laughs> their manager has said over, over that, that time. Um, but yeah, we've, we've managed to really, really put it on against Hibs this season, as you mentioned, got a week's preparation hopefully everyone's just sort of fit and firing and, and ready to go for this one. But I think I think one of the, the strengths of, of the squad and, and the, the squad that the manager's assembled is, you know, that if, if we're talking or other fans talking, you know, there's just this presumption that we're going to win just because we're so used to it and the football's been brilliant and everybody's enjoying it. But that's not filtered through the squad mm -hmm. because that would be that would be the undoing of this great record as if the players rocked up on Saturday and thought, well... We've already beat Hibs twice. We've not lost at home. You know, it's a, a foregone conclusion. And the way we play, you can tell that they believe anything but that actually when you hear them every week, and sure some people think they're just going through the motions the same, we're taking it one game at a time. But actually, I think the way that they prepare and approach and tackle every game, you can tell that's exactly what they're doing. And so that's, that's what makes it so difficult for opponents that Hibs aren't going to come here thinking, well, Celtic might be... I think this is an easy three points. They know that we'll be firing all cylinders to keep going. And I think because of the strength of the squad, none of the play any player knows that if they drop off, there's somebody who's just as good waiting to replace them. So um, it's, a, it's a perfect storm for us and it's so difficult for teams that face us just now. Mm -hmm. So looking ahead to this fixture has made me think about looking back on previous fixtures against Hibs because we've had some absolute classics over that time. 
and trying to just think of any memories that come to mind in the game. Um, anything come to mind for you in this fixture between the two sides? Well, I'd mentioned before, I think, about like going to see Celtic Hibs in the final in, in the 70s. I wasn't sure if it was 72 or 74. So I actually asked my dad last night. Um, so it was the 72 Cup final because he just started taking me, I think, in the February of that year mm. to games. And I'd say my gran used to stay, she stayed quite near Hamden, so we'd always go there and then we would just walk down to the game. So I just have that memory of going down. Everybody, every supporter was in green and white. The pitch was green. Both teams are in green. And as I say, people who have maybe been listening or, or watching Celtic TV for years know that I bang on about this all the time. It's the battle of the greens. It should be the green and white hoops against the green and white of Hibs. And if you look at old photographs, for example, or old footage from that 1972 Cup final, both teams are in their home kit. There's no clash. There is, you know, you can distinctly tell the two teams. So I would love to see Celtic Hibs, both sides wearing their, their home kit. That would make me very happy. And that final as well, for those that might not know about it, what was the, what was the score, what happened in it? It was 6-1. Um, Dixie got a hat-trick. I think it was actually, I think Bertie Old was playing for Hibs at the time. It was Jim Craig's last game for Celtic as well. So there was quite a lot going on in that game as well. Um, and I think, you know, the Hibs had a really good team in that, in, you know, the late 60s and early 70s. Them a lot in finals, didn't yeah, they? and they, they won a couple against us. But I think, again, that team that, you know, in that era that Jockstein had assembled that team, it was kind of, obviously I'm not making the comparisons just now because they're just on a different level, but it was one of those things that they were playing a lot of really good teams, but if the Celtic team were on it, nobody was beating them. And, and those days, and they just, you know, they knew how to win, they were, they were so used to winning, they were absolutely ruthless in it. Um, I mean, I was only like five and a half, so my, my memories are, are, are vague. I don't have any specific memories yeah. of, of the game itself. You know, I've, I've watched it in the highlights subsequently, but yeah, I mean, I just, as I say, when I was growing up, that was Hamden and All Green, and that was fun childhood memories. What comes to mind for me is, well, in more recent times, the League Cup final last season, um, the end in December time 2021 Kyogo's two goals we've spoken about that game so often in this podcast and how important it was for what was then to come under the manager um, a couple of others as well remember the first year I got my season ticket was a 06-07 season so I'd been to games against Hibs before that but that the first one of that season at Celtic Park and it was Hesselink's debut for the club and I can clearly remember that World Cup in the summer. Me and my dad watched, sitting down and watching it and Netherlands were playing a game and this guy came on with this massive long name. And me and my dad having a bit of a chuckle about ourselves and then before we know it, we're signing him. And there was so much intrigue about him and so much curiosity, probably because of the name, more than anything else did with him. Did, did you have his name on the back of the shot? Did, you, did your dad encourage you to get someone else? I think I may have asked mum and dad and they said, I think financially at this moment in time, <laughs> so we can't afford that. Um, and then, yeah, so that was his debut for the club and he scored the winner. I think McGeady hit a shot from the edge of the box. It comes off the post and he just kind of goes in and slides in and puts the ball in the back of the net. But it's like just a game that, stood out when I was thinking back on it as a, a game against Hibs and then he ended up going on to have a, an amazing career and um, we've had plenty of cup finals as well, 2001 cup final to, to seal the treble, that maybe one, I don't really remember that one as much but. Yeah I remember that was, that was a great day as well, you know Martin's first season which was just incredible and then to get to Hamden and the Sun of course and we were the favourites but you know it was still early days I suppose in terms of the, the formation of that team but you know, obviously Henrik um, and Jackie as well scoring uh, to win the treble, and uh, that was that was a wonderful, wonderful time. Yeah, so hopefully another victory to look forward to this weekend as well. Um, Paul, that takes us into our guest interview this week, which is a shorter version of the interview we've got with our captain, Cal McGregor, which is in this new Celtic view where I had a chance to sit down and chat to him about the League Cup final victory um, very recently, reaching 400 games. Um, but how we started off the interview was actually by looking back on his Youth Cup finals for Celtic because after winning the League Cup last month, the record was going about how he's undefeated in, in Cup finals for this club. So we started talking about that and we started 
looking back a bit in his, his youth days, I mentioned Tommy Burns and then relating it back to, to the present day as well. So we'll give you a short snippet of that now, but remember the only place you can read the full interview is in that new Celtic view, which you can get from Friday. But for now, let's hear from Callum. What did start off with going back on Hamden, 2-1 victory over Rangers, but not the one on Sunday? Is there another one that you can remember at all for you? 2-1. Uh, might have been the Fifth Cup final, maybe? Yes, yeah. 2011. And obviously the reason I brought that up is because the stats been going around about your Cup final success, starting off in the Youth Cup final. Um, I think that was your first start in a Youth Cup final at Hamden. I'm just interested in going back to that and just what your memories are of it and what kind of comes to mind now when you think back to it? If you asked me there, I took me ages to, <laughs> <laughs> to get the answer. Um, I know it, was, it was obviously a, a while ago now, but um, I don't think you forget you know, these these days and these memories and, and obviously winning trophies it's, it's something you want to do as you're a young, young kid and you're progressing through the academy. And uh, I think I've spoken about this before, but you know, if you if you get to that stage in the academy and, you, and you're not successful in those teams, then how do you ever expect to get to the first team and, and, and have people trust you to deliver success for the first team? So even at that age, you know, there's pressure on these games where you have to win, people are watching your development, how you handle these games, how you handle the occasions and, and can you get the job done? Um, so, you know, obviously nice to, to have that record, but... Um, you know, I think I've said this before as well, it doesn't count for much the next time the, the next one comes around, then the only thing that matters is you have to win that one as well. So um, you just try and take all the experience that you've got and, and obviously starting for that very first one, then you know, I've managed to, to be successful in quite a few. That winning culture seems to be embedded into players from the moment you step in to this football club. So when you're at those Youth Cup finals, did you have that pressure as well that you had to go and win these games, not just because of that moment, but because of the player you wanted to become? Yeah, exactly. And, and as I just touched on there, it's you have to bring success to this football club and people are always judging you. They, they judge you every week to the, the highest standard and, and quite rightly so. So, you know, every time you go out there, you're, you're representing yourself, you're, you're representing the club and, and you have to do that to the highest standard possible. And like I say, when you... We get to that level. People are watching. You know, how do you handle these occasions? How do you handle these games? And and ultimately, are you a winner? Because that's what football's about. You know, you you can you can have all the philosophy and you want to play nice football. And but ultimately, when it comes down to it, you have to win as well. And and uh, that's what people are looking at. I think when they when they look at these games in the academy, you, you still have to be successful. And like I say, then when you get to first team level, obviously the scrutiny goes up. Um, and, and there's more eyes on you, but at least you've had a good sort of learning curve um, as you've came through the academy with the same sort of expectation. I was reading the match report to that game, and I think it said you played up front. Is that right? I think it done. Maybe number ten. I think it may have been. Was it? Aye, maybe. It uh, said centre forward. Did anyway, it? Yeah. <laughs> Not sure <laughs> about that. Is that something you would usually do back then? Uh, probably more as a, a sort of number ten. I think. Okay. Um, very rarely as a striker, I played. I mean, a little bit at Notts County. Um, he scored a lot at Notts County. Five, about five yeah. or six games up from I never scored. <laughs> <laughs> so I was more like, so I played off the side and then I had a spell through the middle about five or six games. But right. I was I was more used to sort of coming on to the, the game and seeing the game rather than having my back to the game. Okay. I don't think that really suited me. Um, <laughs> so I very quickly found myself either on the bench or <laughs> back in midfield. <laughs> I'm interested in comparison to that Youth Cup final to the present day. Obviously, you're captain, you've got all the experience of playing in cup finals, of playing in derby matches. What was it like playing in those derby matches at a younger age? Did you still have that same kind of passion towards it? Were the emotions actually a little bit higher maybe at that young age? Probably, to be honest. Um, I always remember, like, the, obviously my dad would feed the information back, but um, the scouts and, and the coaches and, and everybody would say like these are the games that you'll win your your next contract so even at 13, 14, 15 the coaches are watching these games to see can one they make the step up and play well in the game can they affect the game and how do they handle the, the occasion so you know 
very early on you had a sense of, you know, these games are really important for one, your development, but two, if you want to progress through the academy, then, you know, you have to bring your best game on, on these days. And that, those youth days, a lot of the time you speak to players and they always say, sometimes they're happiest or they're their most treasured memories are from those youth days. What do you remember about that time? Because that period as well was successful in those youth teams. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was a big learning curve. I think um, coming out of school and becoming a f professional football player and, and trying to make your journey within that. Because obviously, you you then now, you know, you're working full time. You're aspiring to be a football player. You're you're sort of close enough but you're, you're still a million miles away and, and it's trying to deal with all that expectation and and trying to find your way through the, the academy at that point. Um, so it was, a, it was a good experience, I think it, it learned a lot of lessons um, but I must say I, I think I enjoyed playing in the first team a lot more than what I did <laughs> back then um, and, and, and obviously brilliant experiences but you know I, I feel like probably my best times have come since I've, I've broke through into the first team. Yeah. But in terms of that development period and looking back now and what shaped you as a person and as a player, is that vital, those years? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, every sort of coach that you come across from being nine years old, they've all given me a bit of information that I've tried to take from each of them and, and piece them together. And, and I think that's where your journey starts, is, is right the minute when you walk through the door. And, and like I said, every coach gives you a snippet of information that you just take and you build on it and you build on it. And, and obviously that's the idea of the academy is to build you step by step to become a first team player. So each coach is playing his part in your progression through the academy. And then once you piece that all together and, and all those experiences, then eventually when you get to first team level, you should have had a good enough grounding at that point to, to try and make your, your mark at that level. And, and then obviously there's a lot of learning experiences from when you get into the first team to try and establish yourself as well. So, you know, I've, for myself, I've loved every minute of the learning and, and and working with different coaches and taking different bits of their ideas and, and trying to implement it into my game. And it's something that has been has been so valuable for me, I think. Mm -hmm. And that brings us full circle then to Sunday. Just try and describe and explain the emotions. Again, this is your third trophy now as captain to do so in a derby match as well, to, to lift that title. Just try and describe it if you can. Yeah, obviously it's difficult to, to put into words, but, um, you know, an amazing feeling, like, sense of achievement, sense of pride in the players, in the fans, in the club, to turn it on in such a big day, um, big pressure moment, and, and I thought we handled it really, really well, um, right for the, the minute, you know, the, the first whistle, and. The way we played, the way we passed the ball, movement, energy, um, aggression in the game, I, I thought we were totally dominant. Um, and that was brilliant to see. So, you know, a great sense of, sort of pride and achievement that, you know, once you come onto the big stage, you have to perform. And, and we did that as a group. And, and then obviously to, to come right through the end of the game, hang in a little bit and, and show that other side to us where we're not just a pretty football team, we can, we can go up against it and be physical and defend the box. and and then obviously finishing the game, you know, we probably could have finished the game three or four one um, at that point. So coming through the, the difficult spell, finishing strong um, tells you that we've got all areas of the game that we need. And then to go and lift the trophy was was something really special. Um, you know, in front of our fans in a derby game, you know, what more could you want um, than being the captain of the club to, to go and lift that trophy in, in such a special day? Is there still that bit of a fan inside you in those moments? when you go up to lift the trophy? Of course, of course. It's like you invest so much emotion and energy mm. into the club. Um, it never ever leaves you. It's, it's, it's something that's there every single day. The people that I, I'm around every day, they support Celtic, they live and breathe it. It's, you, can never, you can never switch off from it. So that tells you the emotion that you carry with you every single day. Um, and also the pressure that, that comes with that as well and the pressure to deliver. Um, so when you get over the line and you get that moment of achievement, you deliver success for yourself, for your family, for for the supporters, then it's a, a huge sense of pride and and, uh, and relief as well in that moment that you've managed to do it. And to do so as captain as well, 
does it feel different doing it as a captain compared to not being a captain? Um, yeah, probably slightly different. Um, just in terms of the, probably the responsibility side of things, um, you know, you're, you're obviously a lot more responsible for what happens on the pitch. Um, and I've spoken about this before, the minute that you get your head around that, then, you know, that's where you can understand the, the size of the job that you've got. Um, and again, you actually enjoy it. You enjoy having that responsibility and, and, and helping the players and, and them helping me as well. Um, I said that after the game. I think to be successful, you, you need five or six leaders in your team in your dressing room, and we're lucky that we've got that. Um, everybody bounces off each other really well, and yeah, it probably does feel a little bit different um, being the captain. But I think it makes it, you know, a little bit sweeter as well. If you compare yourself now as captain compared to when you first got handed the captain armband, is there anything different about you as a person, as a player, as a leader at all? Have you learnt much over that time? Uh, I think you you just learn every day and I think you're always sort of learning on this job. You know, things change really, really quickly and, and you, you've just got to adapt and, and find a solution. I think I spoke about this a few times, but, you know, sometimes your, your work's done during the week. Sometimes something goes wrong in a, in, in a game and you have to fix it within. Um, so, so there's always that variety of, you know, different types of leadership that you, you need at different times. and. And like I said, the guys have been have been superb with me. They've helped me a lot as well. So, you know, it's a real collective effort. And just thinking about you reaching this milestone and everything you've achieved, and again going back to those early days and maybe looking at points that have been a real influence to you. And the one name I wanted to mention was Tommy Burns, and that is someone you've obviously spoken about tons of times before. But I just thought it'd be a good chance to maybe reflect on the influence again that he had in you to reach this moment as captain, lifting a League Cup and more than 400 games? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was, a, he was a hugely important figure for the club, obviously. You know, everybody, um, everybody knows that. And, you know, just for me to be lucky enough to come across him and, and to have such a, such a big part in my early development um, at Celtic, he, He's someone who just loved the youth academy, so much enthusiasm for it. And, and I always think to myself, how lucky was I that I was one sort of born in that time where I was coming through an academy where we had, we had such a special character who was so dedicated to bringing young talent through. And then again, even more lucky that he, he seemed to sort of take a shine to me really early on, which, which was brilliant because he just passed on so much information, so much time, so much knowledge. Um, even when you're younger, he just put so much effort into trying to help me and, you know, somebody who really inspired me to, to go on and, and I, like, I think I've spoken about this before, but he, he always sort of challenged you and, and when I signed my, my first contract, he had my family in with myself and, and he said to me, like, your job now is to be the next one through the academy because if it's not going to be you, then we'll find another one. And that was the challenge, he was like, make it you because I've given you everything that I can give you now. It's now down to you to make to make this your journey. And if you don't, then I'll just pick another one. And so I was like, right, cheers, Tommy. <laughs> but uh, just things like that that they'll never ever escape me. And I think even bringing me back to this point as well, you know, really sort of helped me psychologically understand how big the opportunity that I had to to play for Celtic and, and never ever to give it up without a fight. Yeah, there we go. That's our captain, Callum McGregor there. And as mentioned, the full interview is in a brand new Celtic View out this Friday. Um, but I think Callum actually quite enjoyed Paul going back and talking about his, his youth days. I know you spoke to him about it all for his, for his book as well. And the thing that strikes me about speaking to Callum about it is that that development path has been so crucial to the person that he's become today. As a player, yes, but also that winning culture that's been developed at such a young age? Well, I think that's, that runs through the academy because obviously they're, they're having to develop players. And if you ever you know, watch your academy players, even, even young guys that are like 10, 11, they, they, the technical ability is extraordinary. The way they can read a game is it's breathtaking, actually. And, you know, and then they've still got another seven or eight years of development before they can get in and around the first team. So it's, that's all crucial. 
But along the way, especially as they, they kind of progress through the academy, you have to develop that winning mentality because that's what's expected of you when you reach the first team that, you know, you have to play a certain way, but you have to win if you're a Celtic player. And that's why over the years, there's been players that have came here and maybe they've found it difficult because the, the demands and the expectations, but, you know, for people like Carl McGregor and James Forrest and, you know, Anthony Ralston and these guys that have come through the academy, that's, that's you know, it's been ingrained into them. Mm -hmm. And they are certainly continuing to win at the moment. Um, one team that was back to winning ways at the weekend were the women's team who were playing Hibs, who were about to play as the first team. They went away to Hibs on Sunday and won 2-0. Uh, it was goals, uh, two goals from corners from Amy Gallagher and Caitlin Hayes as well. It's an important win for the team, bouncing back from that defeat against Glasgow City. Kicks off a big week with a way to play Hearts away from home in defence of their, their Scottish Cup. And then the following week after that, it's the start of the, the split as well for the women's team. So that was a really important game for them, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, they still, I mean, I think they were obviously disappointed at losing to Glasgow City, so there's a six-point gap. But yeah, they just had to, to, to keep winning. And I think the split's slightly different in the women's team. I think they play each other twice, you know. It's still, I think, a top six and a bottom six, but then they, they have two games against each other. Yeah. So that, in a way, is, is probably better for us, if, you know, because you're playing both Rangers and Glasgow City twice, so it's a chance to peg them back. Um, it's Glasgow City and kind of try and reduce that gap and maybe overtake them. So, yeah, there's still plenty to play for. And this cup game on Sunday is going to be massive for them because... They're going to be desperate to retain their Scottish Cup title. And going away to Hearts as well isn't going to be a particularly easy game, is it? Well, we won there the last time, but that was the first time that Hearts yeah. had lost at home in the league that all season. I think the other incentive for, obviously, we're the cup holders, but the semi-finals and the final in the, the Scottish Women's Cup this year are going to be played at Hamden, which, you know, to be playing in that stage again for the team, for the players is a big thing, so I'm sure that will be part of, of what Fran Alonso will be saying to the team, look, we, we want to be playing in the biggest stage, we want to be giving our supporters a chance to see us in the biggest stage, but we have to get past a, a hard side. That certainly, they've improved this season, so it will be a difficult game, but, you know, you again, Celtic have to be confident that they can they can see off hearts. Yeah, the women's team are really just entering that period now of, as we mentioned previously, the business end of the campaign. For the B team, um, the, for their weekend, they drew one each at home to Cumbernauld Colts. It was a, a late goal, having leading that game 1-0 for pretty much the majority. But their season is getting close to its end. Um, we're recording this on Tuesday, and they played the BT Star on Tuesday night away from home. And then they've got a massive game on Friday night at home against Spartans. Celtic B currently second in the table. Spartans third, I think just a point behind there, maybe in the same points as well. I think there's only about four or five games left for them. So this really is a big kind of week. Yeah, I mean, they've had a good, I think they've had a really good campaign. We've, we've touched on it before and, you know, the different benefits that they've had from it. They've been disappointed, I think, to have conceded a goal at the weekend and, and dropped two points. But, you know, the fact that they're still in and about the top of the table um, and Spartans are one of the, the teams that have aspirations to get into the playoffs and possibly into the, you know, League Two. So it'll be a really that'll be a really tough game for them. But it, you know, a big week, and that's the challenge of playing Saturday, Tuesday, and then Friday. You know, for the for the squad, what's well, a very young squad as well. Yeah, that game on Friday night should actually be a cracking game for anyone wanting to get down to Airdrie at Excelsior Stadium because, as you mentioned, Spartans are a team that with only a few games left in the season. They know this is a massive game for them to win, to then try and get into the playoffs, to get into the pyramid system, into the League Two as well. And they're going to be playing against a Celtic team that are above them in the table, playing some brilliant football this season as well. So that should be a real cracker. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think Friday night will be a, certainly a good game. It'll be a tough game, I think. And, you know, obviously hope Celtic come through the game against the BT Star win the game, but also unscathed as well because they'll, they'll want a, a full-strength squad to play Spartans. Yeah, and that now leads us on to our predictions, Paul, um, which last week you got a couple of correct scores right. Again? You did, indeed. Yeah, you got uh, the 3-1 Celtic Hearts on the Wednesday night and then you also predicted Inverness to win 2-1 against Kilmarnock. I didn't have a good week at all. <laughs> Not even Again? I yes, again. 
I'm just lagging further and further behind every week. It's, it's, it's not even becoming a contest anymore. I am certainly meant to be reaching the business end of the season, but there's, there's not even any business to, to play for for me at this moment in time. But still, we've got seven more fixtures to go through um, this week as well. Um, so starting off, Paul, we've got the, the B-teams game on Friday night against Spartans. I'm going to go for a two-all draw, actually. Ooh. I think, again, as I say, I think Spartans are one of the, the better teams in the league. You know, a tough team to play against. Um, I think there'll be a few goals in it. Um, as we said, it's, it's well worth going along and cheering the team on, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to go for two each. OK, I'm going to... I'll go for a 2-1-1 for the B team. And that one, I think they'll, I think they'll just get it done. Um, and apologies, actually, I forgot to put down the, the fan that we've got in with us uh, for, for this week's uh, predictions and their scores. So I'll post them online later on in the, the Celtic View Twitter. I forgot to add them down there. So apologies for that. Uh, but we'll run through our ones anyway. Um, a few games from our Scottish Premiership. We've got Aberdeen against Hearts. I think I'm going to go for 2-1 to Aberdeen, actually. Ooh. I think, you know, Hearts of you know, they'll be disappointed that we knocked them out. Mm-hmm. They have got a few injuries, you know, quite a few of their key, probably some of the key players that would have played against us are missing. So I, I think Aberdeen might just nick it 2-1. Okay. I'm going to go for a draw on that one. I think I'm going to go for two each in that game as well. I was leaning a little bit towards Aberdeen, but now you've said it, I, I need to go different with it to try and get some points from somewhere. <laughs> um, next game is Kilmarnock against St. Johnston. Um Kilmarnock at home would have been pretty strong. Yeah, I watched. I actually watched them, their, some of their game against Inverness Cali Thistle, and and uh, Inverness Cali Thistle thoroughly deserved to beat them. Uh, Kilmarnock were really disappointing that night. As you say, it's, maybe it's a different dynamic when they're at home. Um, but I th- again, I think St Johnson. I'm going to go two one for St Johnson actually. Okay, I'm going to go for one 0 for Kelly. I think that's what I said in the last game, Friday night, so I don't know why I keep backing Kelly for in games, but uh, I'll go with it for that one. Uh, that then leads us on to Celtic against Hibs. Celtic Hibs, well, as we said, you know, our form's just unbelievable at home this season. I think we'll win 4 0. I'm going to go for 4 0. I'm going to go for 3 0 in that one. Um, in the English Premier League, there's not too many games because FA Cup's on, so it's only real one game of note, which I thought was interesting which was Chelsea against Everton. Yeah, I'm quite... I mean, Chelsea, I think they've won three games in a row now. Um, So Graham Potter, who I think everybody was... You know, probably in Chelsea's recent history, it's amazing he's still in a job because they they fire managers right, left and centre. So maybe they're showing a wee bit of, you know, sense and level-headed. Everton, they're just going to scrap and try and get out of it. But I think Chelsea... 2-0, I think, for Chelsea. I'm going to go for a nil-nil. <laughs> I'm going to go for a shock in that one. Um, yeah, Everton is a team. They went one nil up after 30 seconds at the weekend and they just hold on <laughs> under Sean Dyche. Uh, so absolutely no surprises there. So, But no, I think they, they might get something. Um, two games left and it's the women's team game away to Hearts. Yeah, I'm going to, again, I'll go for a Celtic victory. I'm going to go 3-1 yep. for Celtic. I'm going to go for 2-0. And... The last game, I was looking, because there's weird fixtures this weekend, because FA Cup's on and things, and wasn't really a lot of games you're looking at, you think, oh, they're definitely going to win. So there's one game in Europe, which I thought, and it was Barca against Real Madrid. The El Clasico's on this weekend. Interesting. Um, well, Barcelona had a, they had a good result in the Copa del Rey, and mm-hmm. the, the Bernabeu as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're well ahead in the league. It's funny, you watch Real Madrid, especially when you see them in Europe, and they just they're just blowing teams away. You saw what they did to Liverpool at Anfield, but then it seems to be a different dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, the added dynamic, obviously, there's a there's a lot going on in terms of uh, investigations into yeah. Barcelona's. You know, there's been claims. I think that they were, you know, well, they did pay referee, yeah, his business or something. I yeah, can't remember. Business, so, yeah. and Real Madrid have had a meeting about it, and they are, you know, so I think there's a lot over and above the usual dynamic of of Barca Real. But I think Barca at the moment are just the, the stronger side. Yeah. Um, so I, I would go 2-1 for Barca. Okay, I'm going to go for 1-0 Barca because any time I check to see the scores in Europe over the weekend, it seems like Barca just constantly win 1-0. So I'm going to go for that one. But 
bit of a guessing game, really, because I'm not watching too much Spanish <laughs> football at the moment. <laughs> um, well, that rounds off uh, this week's podcast, Paul. Um, yeah, once again, exciting week with Celtic View coming out, and keep up to date with our Celtic View Twitter um, to find out more about what's going to be inside, uh, where you can get it from, but it will be in the Celtic store from Friday, and you can pre-order it now. And also, make sure that you like and subscribe to the Celtic View podcast on all your podcast channels. We're on YouTube, we're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, Google, wherever you get a podcast, we are there now. So make sure you like and subscribe. But for now, thank you very much for listening and do join us again next week. Hail, hail.